Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. So this is a unique episode, and before it starts, I want to offer a little insight into how I think about guests for the show. First things first, I wanted to talk to today's guest, Molly Dyer, because she has a story that hasn't been told yet on this podcast. She lives here in Amarillo. She moved here a few years ago, and she's a witch. Now, I suspect a lot of my listeners' hackles just went up uh, when I said the word witch. Amarillo is diverse, and my guest list is very diverse. But this is still a very religiously conservative city. And just mentioning the words witch or witchcraft in a real-world scenario, yes, it will get people's attention. Um, but for some people, it scares them, or it makes them worried, or it makes them anxious. But I ask you not to prejudge our conversation. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that I'm interested in helping you my listener, experience conversations that you might not encounter in real life. I want to tell interesting stories related to this city, and Molly's story is definitely interesting. She grew up in a very devout Christian family. She worked in law enforcement, but today she identifies as, in her words, an adherent of paganism. She also has a very popular podcast with hundreds of thousands of listeners and a national following. Yes, the podcast is about witchcraft. And so I came into this interview with a lot of questions. How does that personal shift happen? What's her story? Why witchcraft? What does that even mean? Well, Molly and I have a mutual friend, and that's why I invited her to be on this show. And regardless of where you are in terms of your religious beliefs, you're going to hear something you identify with in her story. So all I'm asking is that you not prejudge this episode or Molly herself before you listen. If you've already written her off as evil, and I'm making air quotes right now, you're going to be surprised. So here's Molly Dyer. Molly Dyer, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. This is this is a thrill for me, sincerely. Oh, absolutely. I'm really honored to hear that uh, <laughs> from somebody who does something similar to what I do. I um, That means a lot to me. So I'm eager to talk about you, what you do, who you are, but I want to start in the same place that I do with all of my guests, and that's to ask you the question, why are you here? How did you end up here in, in Amarillo? Well, it's kind of a, a I mean, it's, I don't know that it's an entertaining story, but... <laughs> that doesn't my, matter. I think every story ends up being entertaining. So My husband and I moved here from a military town in central Texas. He was looking to sort of expand what he does for a living and take a, a trajectory that would keep him within the same realm, but sort of go a different direction, if that makes sense. But he started looking for other employment and we ended up uh, coming here on uh, on an interview. We did a road trip. It's like 500 miles. So it was a lot of fun for us. And while we were here, I mean, the interview went great. I made a friend at an IHOP where I stayed while he, while he was doing his interview. And she said, oh, you have to go to Cadillac Ranch. And before you go, you got to get some spray paint or a Sharpie or something. So we stopped before we... Just somebody you randomly met. Just and a random getting... waitress who was so funny. While he was at his interview, we had checked out of the hotel. I mean, it's a far enough drive that we, we got a hotel. So while he was in his interview, I waited for him in an IHOP. I was like... 
watching uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou on my phone, okay. you know? <laughs> and I, it's pretty I'm appropriate a, for an IHOP in Amarillo. It yeah, sincerely, like it was it was a little meta, actually. <laughs> um, but so, so I told the waitress, you know, I'm a really good tipper. I'm going to be here for maybe an hour and a half. And she's like, oh, girl, no problem. So she took good care of me. And then when my husband got back and he wanted to go into the, the IHOP restroom to change for our road trip home because we no longer had a hotel room. She sat us down. She poured us both a big cup of coffee. And she's like, all right, so here's what, when you get this job, because you're going to get this job, here's what you've got to do. you got to know about this. She told us about the Dynamite Museum signs, which blew my mind. I'd never heard of that. And then she told us about Cadillac Ranch, which we knew about, but we weren't really... For some reason, we thought, oh, that's really touristy. And of course it is. Yeah. But at that point, what were we? We yeah. were tourists, you know. So we we left there and we stopped at like a home, best home store or something. It was a Home Depot, I think, on the way there. That might have been yeah. where it was. And we got some spray paint. And when we got out there, we realized we didn't have to spend a dime because look at all the cans it's on the big ground. pile of it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we took a few, you know, like touristy artsy pictures and then we uh spray painted on some of the cadillacs and and we we went home and we found out reasonably soon after we got home that we would be moving to amarillo that was i mean like i've moved before and i've moved you know from the dallas area to the central texas area Mm -hmm. that's not like this move moving here felt like moving to a different country and i'm a texan i mean i was born and raised in texas but um so when we got here it was a really hard transition to not think about, well, we have to go home now to the town where we lived in central Texas because this was now home. And I have to tell you, I love it here. I absolutely love Amarillo. How long ago was that? Three years, through? about three years ago and some change. What were some of the things that were so different for you that, that felt like a new world? Well, when you move to Amarillo from the hill country, <laughs> it's kind of like other than the lack know, of hills, moving to Saudi Arabia from moisture. Switzerland. You yeah. know, <laughs> uh, the drive is not my favorite part. The drive seems to be sort of—I mean, and I, I really don't want to offend anybody at all. Uh, it just wasn't what I was used to. You're and driving from green into browns and yellows. Yeah, and and lots of cattle, which is mm-hmm. fine because I totally every I'm that person that when there's a cow, I'm like cow, you know, at the side of the window. <laughs> But it, what was what was so different to me, if I know how to how to say this, the feel of a small city, but it feels like a big city crammed into a small city without okay. being overcrowded. Does okay. that make any sense at all? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we've 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 got all the stuff that a big city might have, but it's it's like at a seventy percent level. And we've got all the diversity a big city might have, but like smaller pockets of it, you yeah. know, and it's just, it's just all kind of compressed. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. That's a, that's a much better way of saying it than, <laughs> than the way I mangled it. Uh, but it also is kind of, it's interesting to have, having grown up in a place like Dallas, Fort Worth, that's not one city. That's a huge metroplex. Yeah. And then where I was in central Texas was one of those cities slash city slash city places, you know, where, It's a giant metroplex of small towns. And this is all in one place. And now I realize there's Canyon right next door and we have Dumas and, you know, but Amarillo is just Amarillo. Yeah. And a lot larger than I realized it was going to be as well. So I'm still not completely acclimated to the roads. Uh, If someone says, how do you get there? I'm like, you know, honestly, don't ask me. I don't have any idea. (laughs) 
Where did you grow up? In uh, a city called Irving, Texas. Okay. Yeah. And most people know Irving uh, because... It used to be home of the Cowboys. It was the home of the Cowboys. The whole time I was there, after I moved away, they had to demolish the uh, stadium. <laughs> it was not because I moved away, but I like to think that it was. Uh, yeah. So it's the home of the Cowboys. And I had a job in law enforcement there. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I wasn't like a, you know, gun carrying cowboy police officer, uh, but I was in the law enforcement industry. So... Was and, that something that like had always wanted to be a career for you or is that like an accidental thing? That was actually a thing because my grandfather was in that industry. Okay. He was actually uh, a ranking police officer for a lo- my whole life, for my, my whole life up until he retired and then passed. So um, I, it was almost like I had family there already. I mean, it was actually, it was literally like I had family there yeah. already, but I knew so many of the of the the upper brass that knew me like I barfed on the assistant chief when I was four days old you know and he never let me forget that my whole time working there you know sort of a thing so I did know a lot of the and and unfortunately a lot of us people are no longer with us you know and there's sort of a a, a whole new guard there but Mm -hmm. um, that was a job that was incredibly responsible I had to be very aware of everything that was happening I was probably way too young to do it, but it shaped me in a lot of ways. Hmm. And it taught me a lot of things that I'm just, they're just now surfacing the last three or four, about four years. Okay. You know, things that I have learned about myself, uh, that I haven't always been a very good person and I haven't always been a very, uh, equitable person. Hmm. And I, I know that now, and I have changed that, obviously. Which is, I mean, that's kind of rare for adults to change things like that anyway. I mean, a lot of who we are ends up being kind of set, you know, by the time we're 18, 20, 21, 25, you know. And that's the age that I was in that job. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, exactly. Those are some very formative years, and to do a job like that can be destructively formative Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, where there are prejudices and bigotry and I had to take a really good long look at myself and who I am and who I'm not. And I've never actually been that person, but I I allowed myself to be okay with that for a long time. Man, there's something about you, Jason. You just bring it out. I just sit here and look <laughs> at you and just let you keep talking. I know. And I'll it, just talk myself into the tell ground. Me, <laughs> tell me about... Uh, we'll, we'll get to the reason for this in a while, but tell me a little bit about your upbringing. I mean, were, were you, was it a pretty conservative environment, religious environment, anything like that? All those things. It was so conservative and it was so religious. And on one side of my family were sort of the non-denominational assembly of God, okay. church of Christ, kind of, uh, you know, very, like very conservative on the other side, and I and I was sort of brought up sort of between both, the mother's side and the father's side. Um, my dad's side of the family were all Catholic, you okay. know, big Italian family, um, drinkers, dancers. That's a, you know? Yeah, that's, which, you know, from outside, people probably think, ah, Christians are Christians. But, like, that's a big divide. There's a big difference. If you grow up in that world. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of the Church of Christ people or Assembly of God people might not have thought the Catholics were even Christians. Right. And vice versa. You and know? vice versa. Look, I, I literally grew up with my mom saying, oh, I wish the Catholics would take Christ off the cross, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then there's my dad's side of the family, which are all Catholic. So I kind of have, I, I was afforded a very fortunate gift, and that is having a lot of diversity okay. in, in my, and and I, I can't say that I loved 
most or all of it, you know, I, what I enjoyed the most were, uh, were Catholic mass and the ritual that's behind it. That is something to me that is meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? regardless of what it actually means when you're doing it, uh, the incense and the, the chimes yeah. and the, there's the ri- a lot of, it, it, it gets your senses kind of carries a lot of mystery with it. I mean, there's something, oh, I love that so yeah. much. And I also have to say, uh, aesthetically, I love the echo of a, of a cathedral, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, where my family went to mass was a big stone church. So it had these incredible acoustics that when the choir were up in the choir loft singing and it was just magical, you know, well, it's not probably supposed to be magical, a Catholic church, you know, <laughs> but it they wouldn't use the me. word magic. They would yeah. talk about mystery, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So I was, I was brought up church every Sunday in the morning, in the evening, Wednesday night church, Friday night Bible study at our house. And, you know, things like Halloween, we had a harvest festival right. because otherwise you're worshiping the devil. Right. You know? Did you dress as biblical characters? Um, was, my, was that a I thing? wasn't actually, I think I, I was dressed as like a ballerina most, okay. most Halloweens. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, I went, our church had like regular Halloween. They didn't call it harvest festival, but right. I was probably four and I wanted to dress as the devil. Oh, yeah. Just had no idea. And for some reason, my parents thought that was okay. Like, they they didn't they didn't steer me away from that. What and religion so, was this you were raised in? It was Southern Baptist. Oh, are you kidding me? A very conservative Southern Baptist church. Oh, my and goodness. And I, I walk in with, like, I had a little pitchfork uh-huh. and stuff. And, like, did you have horns and, like, a red I outfit? I don't remember. I remember the pitchfork. And mm-hmm. it was black and red and plastic. Um, <laughs> but I came in. And my teachers were real upset about it. Sure. And I was like, well, why did my mom not tell me not to do this? I didn't even realize, you know, it was a big deal. But that's, yeah. <laughs> that's my story. Let's, let's talk about yours. Um, but so you grew up in that environment, and obviously those shape people. Um, tell me about, like, how that world has shaped you as an adult. Okay, so the way that that world has shaped me as an adult. Good and Girl, bad ways. I, yeah. Growing up in a conservative home. Um, one of the things that it did was it showed me the variations between what Christian Christianity is. Um, and by that, I mean, my grandmother was one of the most wonderful people that anybody has ever met, will ever meet. And she was a God fearing, kind Christian. She would give you the last dollar she had and beg a dollar off somebody else for you. She was just a good person and she prayed and she went to church and she was she didn't go every single Sunday but she didn't feel the guilt of and the sting that so many Christians that I've met feel for missing a Sunday okay my parents were different my parents were much more strict conservative I couldn't listen to secular music and I come on I grew up in the 80s it was such good music I had to listen to oldies (laughs) You know, from like the 50s and the very early 60s, not the hippie stuff, but I was very cloistered. I mean, like, I think that's just probably the best way to put it. I wasn't allowed to date anybody Mm. or to do anything really after school that wasn't church related. And then high school came and I got involved in like the drama club and and then it was the the rules were a little different, but they were still there. You know, they were they were they were my rules were a little bit reorganized. But I uh, I didn't get to go on the road trips and I didn't get to go to the parties. And, you know, I was kind of like the, oh, yeah, I'll be at home. I'm going to be babysitting and also going to church, you know. <laughs> so And that's even even for 
church people, that's a pretty, that's still a pretty conservative yeah. reading of, of the culture, mm-hmm. you know? It was very conservative. Uh, no, no alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, like sort of the, for one of the first things I did when I moved out was I bought a pack of cigarettes and I oh. smoked them, you know? <laughs> So, and then of course that became a horrible habit that I was able to break 10 years ago, but that's another story. But my, that whole conservative upbringing, I'll tell you what it did for me. It made me hungry for what was on the other side of it. Hmm. Uh, It made me curious for what I was being kept from. What you were missing out on. Was I missing out on it? Was it big enough of a deal for me to actually be missing out on it? Or was it just something that was on the other side of this very tall fence that I wasn't supposed to even know about? Right. Beyond music, beyond cigarettes. Right. Beyond music and beyond a pack of Marlboros, you know, Um, and boys and, you know, and all all the things that come with being a young person. So uh, one of the things it gave me was a sense of curiosity to the chagrin of my parents, I'm sure. And that curiosity was spiritual, okay. mainly, because while I don't have a problem at all with any religion, really, with Christianity, and I mean, it, that's my, my roots run deep in Christianity, and I was brought up in a Christian church, it's just not my life anymore. Um, it is something that I've been able to step back from and take a look at. One of the things that I've found among people who have left a faith tradition or deconstructed a faith tradition, especially one as strong as yours, is that they're always curious. Right. Like there's there's never this acceptance of, well, that's what they say, so that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to look into this myself, or I'm going to read yeah. further, or I'm going to read outside this tradition. Um, it's It's that interest in the world outside what you've been raised in that often pops the bubble, I guess. Right. And, and people either take in a whole lot or they just go out, you know, of the bubble anyway. And that sounds really, I mean, really similar to so many stories I've heard. Yeah. And, you know, having having heard you say that just now, I, it makes me remember uh, a lot of the people that I grew up with that are still in that bubble. And that's fine for them. Mm-hmm. That was not enough for me. So uh, I literally, uh, in high school, I think it was my senior year, and I think I drove myself to the library, and I checked out a ton of books because in and amongst those books was a book on paganism. Okay. And I didn't want anybody to know that I had that, you know? So I checked out all these ridiculous books that there was no way I was going to read that had nothing to do with paganism or witchcraft. Or sort of a cover for the, the paganism totally book. see-through. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so much so as a matter of fact, that when I brought them back and checked out another 10 billion books with another book on, just like the most basic form of like nature magic, witchcraft. Okay. The librarian was very kind and very quietly said, there's a third in this series. Would you like me to go get it for you? And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And I could <laughs> that book get in there. Yeah. I don't even have what, whose book is that? And I, I didn't have the, the courage to say, yes, I would love to read that book. Go get it. I was, I was so gobsmacked and shocked that somebody would, have pointed out that one book. Mm-hmm. As you notice, obviously she's a librarian. She's looking at what I'm Librarians reading. Librarians are wonderful people. They are. I have a really good couple of friends that are librarians. Okay, tell me tell me a little bit about so I can see someone being in high school wanting to look outside, you know, maybe their faith tradition. Mm-hmm. The obvious next step for someone who starts to question those things might be to abandon that tradition, to go more toward agnosticism, whatever. Um, you reached out toward 
paganism, mm-hmm. which a lot of people would think, oh, that's like that's like the enemy side of Christianity. It's not no Christianity. Right. It's like the the opposition to it. Right. Tell me a little bit about that interest. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of kids probably have an interest in supernatural magic, which is Buffy well, the like, Vampire Slayer. You know, people yeah. who who watch the shows. So, so tell me why that interest in in beginning to read in in that world. It spoke to me. It spoke to me more clearly than the church spoke to me. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you, actually, as as an eighteen year old girl woman uh, in conservative Texas, a conservative part of Texas, and a conservative family, there were a lot of rules that were put upon me that were not put upon my opposite sex of the same age or this, you know, the same generation, uh, and a lot of responsibility that was that seemed to have been piled on my shoulders merely because I was a born a woman in paganism. I found that it was equitable uh, and I didn't have to take all the responsibility. I didn't have to answer to anybody. I didn't have to be in a household. If I didn't want to be that I was subservient. That was the last thing I wanted, but that was what I was being taught. So there's some empowerment yes, built into that. Very much so. And not even like the magic part. I right. mean, the actual, like, you are a powerful person as a human being. Just on the human realm, you're a powerful person. You, your mind is no different, no, no less than any male. Uh, it can be greater than many males. It, there's, it's not a competition. We are all the same thing. And that's what I was, I was being taught by these illicit books that I was not supposed to be checking out and sneaking into the house in my backpack, you know, um, and reading literally under the covers with a flashlight, a book light that I was more than just somebody's wife. I was more than somebody that was going to cook dinner and raise the kids. And there is nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I wanted for myself. So in hearing somebody else tell me, Oh no, there's another path. You don't have to do to do the subservience path. Um, and that's, again, what I was being taught to do. Here I am. Tell me about that period of transition. Like, you know, if you're sneaking it in, if you're reading under the covers, obviously it, it had that feel that you were doing something that you, you needed to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, when did it become something that you embraced and you began to live as opposed to just, you know, slowly getting some of this? It was a couple of years because uh, I I did that. Most of my, my, my whole senior year in high school okay. when I lived with my parents. And I, I can remember very distinctly sort of feeling the need to step back a little bit from my family unit uh, as far as the, I, I, I wasn't alienating anybody, but I was just able to like take a step back and look, look at things. And it was difficult to be dishonest that whole time because that's essentially that's what I was doing. I was learning and reading and I didn't know anybody else. I mean, I felt very alone and very isolated and I couldn't talk to my family or anybody at church about it. I decided not to talk to anybody at school about it because I didn't know anybody that felt the same way. Right. I already felt like an outcast and you know, that like, kind of like the weird kid. So I didn't want to be like, Oh, and by also, by the way, I think I'm turning into a witch. Was, you know? was, was there a lot of, I, it feels to me like there would be a lot of church-based guilt. Oh my like, God. Like not just the curiosity, yeah. but the curiosity that you think 
means something's wrong with you. Is, is that kind of where you were? Listen, I, I, I still feel that from time to time. Really? It was so ingrained. When you are indoctrinated, in a way, into certain religions, that kind of gets hardwired, you know? Letting go of Christian guilt, as I call it, is, uh, is a thing that it's very hard to do. And a lot of people who come to paganism or have sought paganism because they're, nothing else is, is speaking to them um, have to let go of all that Christian guilt, too. And it's very difficult. And some people just can't. Some people can't do it. I, I was able to do that. But it still cr- pops its ugly head up from time to time. I feel like we should do some uh, some definitions for listeners who, you know, if, if somebody says, well, I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist, mm-hmm. they kind of know what that is. Uh, if you were to say, I practice paganism, mm-hmm. there are people who will have no idea. Like, does that mean you worship Zeus? Does that mean you believe in, like, I could, deities yes. that pa- live paganism. in the supernatural realm? Or is it, like, agnosticism with kind of a a flavor? A lot of pagans that identify as pagan are actually agnostic. I'm actually an atheist now okay. and have been for more than a decade. To say I'm, it's easier to say I'm pagan because of what I practice okay. and because of what I kind of what I preach too. So um, to say I'm pagan would mean um, that I am not Christian, I'm not uh, Jewish, and I'm not Muslim. Anything else is basically paganism. So if you think of Buddhism. That's paganism. It's a form of paganism. Right. It's still a form of worship. And it's, well, from a Christian perspective, it's right. paganism. Right. Christianity is paganism from a Buddhist perspective. Uh, correct. Right? Actually, See? I think that's about right. Yeah. So, um, although maybe it fits. I mean, Buddhism I, has a lot of. Yeah. And Buddhism is its old. It, that's yeah. Its own maybe thing. say that's, for to to a Muslim, a Christian is pagan. Yeah, probably. So. Although there's a lot of connections in history between yes. them and Abrahamic religions and stuff, but that's a whole other podcast. Right. Oh, you use the term Abrahamic religions. So you've done a little homework. You know what you're talking about. Um, so paganism, most people know a, a, something called Wicca, right? Wicca is kind of a gateway drug for a lot of pagans. because And, and, and no offense to anybody that practices Wicca. That's how I stepped into paganism myself. It seems very safe. I mean, it is very safe. It's earth-based. It's it's literally going out and touching the earth and feeling it and appreciating that for what it is. And a lot of people associate earth-based religions with multiple deities or polytheism. So if let's say if I'm a I'm a a, a Wiccan and my goddess is uh, Kiridwen, who is the keeper of knowledge, she stirs the cauldron of knowledge, and she's a hearth and home. And and then my god is is uh, Kernunos, and he's a, a green man god. He's like a horned god. That sounds like way out there to a lot of people. Um, Although it, there has some connections with like Hinduism and and a lot of the different deities that oh, exist. there are millions there. of yeah, deities so. in Hinduism. Yeah. Um, but no, keep talking. I'm, yeah. So it, so to say pagan basically just means. I'm a tree-hugging dirt worshiper. <laughs> okay, so, so tell me this. I think of atheism, and I think of a, a purely rational scientific mindset, what we see, what we can, you know, touch, taste, measure, that's mm-hmm. what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you are, are saying that you are an atheist. I identify myself as atheist. Okay. However, you've also talked about your god and your goddess. Mm-hmm. Is that symbolic, or is that something that you recognize in a spiritual realm me personally beyond rational yeah i mean just what does that mean to you to say that well 
Actually, maybe I should clarify. I don't actually identify with any deity whatsoever any longer. I okay. did in the past. I, I have had like a matron and patron deity in the past. And then I moved more toward what some people call Dianic paganism, which is just a, a female deity, just a, a matron deity, and not really so much with the male or patron deity. And then at some point, I don't even really know the origin story myself of this, how this happened. But at some point I just kind of said, you know, it's just me. It's just me. It's me and it's you. We're making all this happen. Um, Us and science. Mm -hmm. And so that's when something clicked and I thought I I have myself to rely on and my fellow man, Uh, myself and my fellow man are the ones that are going to make this happen to me. My prayers of any sort don't fall on deaf ears. They just don't fall on ears. Hmm. That is a wish that I'm making that I need to actually go out and physically do something to make that happen. If I want something to happen, if I want to have peace in the world, I, I can't sit back and pray to somebody that we're going to have peace. I can hope for it for sure. But what really needs to happen is I need to take action and do my what I can. I can't cause peace on my own, but every journey of a thousand steps starts with, well, how does that go? A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Lao, Lao Tzu, I believe. Yes, I, thank you, because I just massacred his phrase. Um, if, that, if that tracks or makes any sense... That's so. That's the way I feel now. I don't. I don't identify with any. any okay. Deity. So like, like there's not an external something that that maybe you're directing prayers to, or I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of the world that you live in, seen and unseen. You know, is is yeah. there a supernatural realm that is part of your practice? I try to. Sh- I kind of shy away from the term supernatural. Uh, because I identify as atheist. Is that more of a religious term, I guess? That's more you? of a spiritual religious term, okay. yeah. So spirituality for me is science. Um, and I my world is energy, and I deal with energy. And, and I believe that energy can be manipulated. Um, if I saw that you were in a bad mood sitting across from me right now, I might try to shift the energy a bit and put you in a different mood. Um, I could also change your mood and make you very angry, probably. But you could do the same thing. Right. That is magic to me. Does that make the sense? Magic, like interpersonal kind of magic? Sure. Just the way that conversations can can shift people? Or is it like, I, I'm trying to think, you know, of, of people who have only seen paganism or witchcraft on TV, you know, or in a movie. Right. And they're like, like, well, you know, are, are hearts of toads involved? Or is it more, <laughs> you know, what, what does that look like? I, I use the movie The Craft quite a bit as okay. an example of what magic is not. Okay. <laughs> you know? That's good because I've not seen it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a fun movie. I'll say that. It's a kind of a cult classic and it's a fun movie. And it's about young women dabbling in and getting in a lot of trouble because they, you know, uh, it kind of... There's a phrase, never pull up what you don't know how to put down. And so people that practice magic and witchcraft and things like that uh, will tell you that. And I believe that. Um, And they pulled up more than they they bit off more than they could chew. So that's the moral of the story. A good example of what magic is not. Magic Mm -hmm. is not, you know, uh, running my fingers through my hair and it becoming blonde, (laughs) you know, like in the movie. And magic is not me flicking my fingers and someone flying across the room with a shower of sparks and fire. I mean, I wish, come on, but it's not. 
Um, to me, magic is nature. Magic is the energy around us. Magic is love, things like that. So I'm, I'm not one of the scary ones. Um, as a matter of fact, I personally like to demystify the mystical mm-hmm. while keeping it magical, if that makes sense. Does, does that make any sense at all? Like, I, I think it's a semantic thing, but tell me, so tell me what that means. Imagine that I'm someone who finds you scary mm-hmm. because you're wearing a shirt that says witch and right. I know you mean it. Right. So um, talk to somebody who might, whether it's religious guilt or misconceptions from TV or whatever, might think, oh, that means evil. That means mm-hmm. someone that I should be afraid of, I should steer clear of. Tell me what's important to you and why that that misperception is untrue. Okay, so I realize there are a lot of people who have their minds made up and will not change their mind to, no matter what I say. And that is a fact of life. But if I were talking to someone that I thought maybe really wanted to know, like you just posed that question, I would tell you that historically, witches were healers. The story of the big bad witch is fiction. That's a fairy tale. Witches were the ones that you came to when you were bleeding and you didn't know why, or you had a a broken bone and there was no one else to help you with that. Or you had a broken heart or you had, you know, this or that and whatever that you needed healed your child, your pregnant wife, yourself. In a pre-science context, like those were the pharmacists and the yeah. doctors. Yeah, yeah, and their their drugs were the earth. They came from the earth. Uh, that magic came because someone picked some uh, bone set from the ground that they knew would help to heal this broken bone or at least to help knit it back together. That looks like something horrifyingly, you know, strange to somebody who doesn't know. That's just healing. So uh, someone gave someone something warm to drink that smelled like flowers and it, it, it helped their upset stomach, you know, or it gave them, got rid of their gas or whatever, whatever, you know, that to me, that's, that's witchcraft healing. That's healing. Me being scary. I haven't turned anybody into a toad in 2020. Uh, (laughs) No, I mean like that's, you know, we're not, we're not scary. And the, the black hair and the black clothes and the black hats and all the, that's just trappings. That's just right. fun, you know, and uh, dressing up as a witch for Halloween or for whatever, you know, <laughs> going to Walmart, you know, that's, that's great fun by the way. But witchcraft in and of itself is not scary. Um, it's healing. So that's, that's a way that you define yourself and you live in Amarillo, Texas. Yeah, it's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, well, in Amarillo, Texas, as a witch, it's not the kind of thing that I scream from the rooftops here. As a matter of fact, I, I live under a pseudonym. Um, Molly Dyer is not my real name. And I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I'm just, that's a little anonymity for myself for certain pockets that I... I don't really, I'm picking my battles, right? if that makes sense. Amarillo, Texas has been wonderful to me and to my husband, but I also know where my boundaries are. Um, And while I do things like political activism and get out in front of people and and, uh, participate, I don't generally do that with a witch hat on. Um, And if I did, I would really be afraid of being in danger, being, being, you know, in some sort of peril. So... 
I think I would just be be afraid of uh, flying that flag too too loudly here in in town. Is that a fear based on something you actually actually have seen in your life, or is that more a theoretical fear? No, it is actually something you- I've. I, uh, I myself have not faced persecution. Uh, my husband has, uh, and he's he is he's just granola, mm-hmm. you know, tree hugger. He's an outdoors dude. So, uh, but he has, and my best friend did who lives in Colorado, but did not live there. She lived here at the time in, in a different part of Texas. And, um, during a, a custody trial, Oh wow. Her beliefs were brought out and, uh, really thrown in her face. And she just nearly lost her kids for nothing. I mean, because she likes to light candles and burn incense and, you know, say prayers to, gods and goddesses that don't seem familiar to her ex-husband's attorney. Right. So I have seen it. And I, uh, I also know a lot of people, whether it's over the ether and the internet or in real life that have faced some sort of persecution due to their, their beliefs, whether they be spiritual or not belief, you know? So if anybody ever asks me, what's your religion? My pat answer is usually i'm an atheist i don't like to talk about religion Mm -hmm. especially if i don't know you you know which is enough around here for someone to take a step backwards sure but i mean i think it's better to be more honest than to say you know (laughs) i'm a baptist (laughs) because you know i i really don't i don't want to carry on that conversation you know so um, i'm a big battle picker and that's one of those that i'm picking this battle to not fight this battle here right now I, i i i choose to fight for other things okay here. Now, one thing that, that listeners will have heard me talk about pretty often on this show is that you can be as unique as you want in a place like Amarillo that seems very conservative, that seems pretty homogenous. You can be weird compared to, I'm not saying you're weird, but in <laughs> oh, a I'm weird a place com- <laughs> compared to people who live here and still find your people. Like yeah. that, that Amarillo is diverse enough that there are pockets of whatever you want and you can find somebody who identifies with you. Have you found that to be the case? I here? absolutely have. And uh, through a, just a weird turn of events and a weird turnover of people that were friends and aren't friends anymore, I have found my people here. I have a best friend that lives in Atlanta and I have a best friend that lives in uh, Colorado, but I have some best friends here in Amarillo that I feel very, very close to, and uh, one of whom you're friends with. And listen, I don't have a lot to complain about. And one of those things is I feel very rich in friends. I did spend the first year here kind of a little on the lonesome side and trying to do that thing where you're an adult trying to make friends. Yeah. And it's, and I'm not trying to date people. I just want to make friends, you know? <laughs> and so weird things happen and you meet weird people and the chaff starts to kind of fall away. And, uh, and then you have these, these are your weirdos. You, you know, I sang my song loud enough and my weirdos came, you know who you are weirdos. <laughs> I, I'm very, I feel very, very secure in the love my weirdos have for me and my mutual love for my weirdos. Okay, before we wrap up this part of of the conversation, I I also want to talk a little bit about your podcast because I know like me you're you're a podcaster, uh, we have very different topics, but tell me about your show and and why you decided to start it and who's responding to it. All right, uh, my podcast is called Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. There are a lot of Witchcraft 101 podcasts and sort of very small niche podcasts. And I wanted to sort of 
show the broadness of what witchcraft is and can be from every angle. And that includes like the Hindu and the herbalist and the Wiccan and everything in between. And so uh, I, I just kind of like literally said, I think I'm going to do this. And then I started doing it. And like, one day I had like four downloads and I was like, oh, someone's listening. Four people you know? listening. And on like my very first podcast. And so I decided all people can say is no if I wanted to reach out and say, hey, I have this stupid little podcast. It's about this. And you fall under that umbrella. Would you consider doing an interview with me? And so I did that with some friends of mine, first off, that I know that have influence within their own pagan communities and have a, a history um, some of which in Amarillo and they were like, yeah, sure. You know? And so then I sort of branched out and decided, Hey, I'm going to contact this author and I'm going to see if this author will talk to me. And sure enough, this best-selling author was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. I'm in, you know? And uh, so we did that and it sort of grew legs without me realizing it. And suddenly it was like a centipede, you know, does that make sense? And it was like, uh, I have people that have, that have approached me that would like to be interviewed. And I'm kind of like, Hey, that sounds good. People with something to promote love podcasts. Oh, they do. And the thing is I'm non-sponsored. It's a labor of love. I don't make a dime from it. And I don't really mind. I mean, I really, I enjoy being able to support people, especially independent people. Was it like a COVID project? Was it something that you started kind of, What's funny is COVID was just a blink of the eye when this first began. Um, and I was actually going out to interview people and then that stopped real yeah, quick for both of us. So then, yeah, then it became a COVID project and, and my husband's like, Oh, do it. You're good at it. Have fun. You know, buy that mic, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not what defines me, but it's definitely what I'm thinking about all the time. I have had an enormous amount of fun and I do have a background in radio. So that kind of feeds that a little bit too. I'm on a mic and I have to, you know, tweak my voice and whatever. You have a good voice. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, As do you, sir. As do you. you. It's just, it's fun for me. I like to try to take the mystical and make it explainable. Okay, this is the part of the show where I usually have a sponsor message. I didn't use any sponsorships, of course, with this episode because I suspected Molly might be a potentially controversial guest. I try to be careful with that stuff. I try to protect my sponsors. So instead of a sponsor message, I want to invite you to support Hey Amarillo via my Patreon page at patreon.com slash You can contribute monthly to the show at a variety of different tiers, uh, and and help me continue making this from week to week. It could be $4 a month, all the way up to an executive producer position, which is $25 a month. If listening to Hey Amarillo is worthwhile to you, then one way to say thanks is to provide some ongoing financial support. You can cancel at any time, but either way, I really appreciate uh, you listening. I appreciate those who support the show financially. That's patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Okay, I'm back with Molly Dyer. Molly, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. Okay. You get to answer those in as much detail as you want. Uh, the first one I've been asking this year, what's one thing the last few months, uh, whether it's related to the pandemic, to uh, the civil rights protests, all that stuff, what has it revealed to you about local people? 
one of the things that is revealed to me that is that people can be incredibly selfish. I really hate to say that because like I said, I love Amarillo and I, I, I've had so many positive, wonderful memories already created here in three years, but there's such a feeling of I'm over it mm. with so many people that it's very clear that um, people are concerned with themselves and that's, that's it. A lot of people. And I don't mean to say everybody, I really truly don't mean to say everyone. It's very frightening though, to, to see people who just don't care anymore because that means to me, they haven't been affected yet. Right. And hopefully they won't be affected, but when they are affected, I hope they change their tune. That's what it's revealed to me is the lack of compassion uh, among Amarilloans. What does this area have too much of? Is conservatives the wrong answer? <laughs> no, I'm there sorry. There are no I'm sorry. wrong answers to I'm that. I'm a liberal, and, and I'm dyed in the wool liberal. That's fine. So. Talk about that. Okay. Well, I mean, like, I feel like um, it's very difficult when someone opens a conversation about masks or something, and they start out with, you don't care if I don't wear this, do you? And I'm, I'm like, I absolutely do care. You know, if I'm in an Uber, let's say, it's required by mm-hmm. Uber that you wear that mask. I am two and a half feet from you at the best at the, at the furthest, right. uh, please wear your mask. And that has actually caused very heated. I thought I was going to get dropped off elsewhere. And I almost actually asked to be pulled over and dropped off Uber trip and in, in the not distant past. Really? Yes. Even though like that's part of Uber's yeah. culture. Yes. You the- have to sign a thing that says your, your rider or your driver is going to wear their mask and tick this box to make sure you are going to as well. Hmm. It's part of their, their rules that you've got to wear a mask and they've got to wear a mask. And so when I got into the person's car and they said, I don't need this. I don't need to wear this mask. Good. You don't care. Do you? And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely do. I, I, I care. And then that just devolved from there. And, hmm. and it was very clear to me that I don't like to have that conversation. I mean, I really don't. I just kind of would prefer it to be, oh, please wear your mask. And he would say, yes, ma'am. And that was it. Right. And we're done Which is really it. easy. I mean, customers Seriously, first, right? It ain't hard. Uh, but in a grocery store, we, m- my husband and I do grocery pickup these days because I, I have some comorbidities. I don't want to get exposed. But occasionally he has to pick up a prescription like at Walmart. And so... He'll go in and I'll be like, I'm going to wait in the car, you yeah. know, and I'm just like chewing my nails and like wringing my hands. But sometimes I do go with him and I'm very masked up and I keep on my like glasses and being in like Walmart in Amarillo is almost no masks. You have to wear a mask to get in or you used to. Yeah. But once you get in there, nobody cares. There's no police. Right. So I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of conservatives and that there are too many i feel like i'm gonna lose a lot of friends i hope no no i i i think that's legitimate and it's weird that masks have become a political signifier they it's so bizarre because really a conservative position would be a position of protection Mm -hmm. and risk aversion and you know not wanting to just go loosey goosey with everything. Right. Um, That seems more liberal to me. Yeah, it does. (laughs) It it really does. Yeah. Take it, you know, like seriously. Uh, Like if you're going to be rebellious, we might think, well, you're probably not a rule follower. You're not invested in how the things have always been. And so it's such a weird thing that has happened this year. It is. This is the weirdest year I've ever known. This, I mean, anybody. Yeah. Everybody. Agreed. What does this area not have enough of? Mediterranean and Middle Eastern food restaurants. (laughs) Okay. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, I'm a big fan of Middle Eastern food 
And where we moved here from, there were a few. There weren't a lot, but there were a few. And there, I think there's one here. There's no falafel places. Or no. Shawarma. No. Oh, there's no shawarma. Uh, so, yeah, we, we missed that quite a bit. There is a lot of, like, cultural diversity here as far as the food goes. Mm-hmm. I'll say that for sure. I just really were missing the Middle Eastern and the Mediterranean. Okay. We don't have a huge, uh, you know, yeah. Greek population or no, anything. We've no. got a lot of a lot of people from a lot of different places, but not Greece. Yeah, yeah. Not Greece. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I say, well, we're just next door to New Mexico, like an hour away. You know, they're like, oh, is it that far? I'm like, yeah. So you're in West Texas? No, we're not in West Texas. We're in the Panhandle, but that's West Texas. Now, like El Paso and that area, that's West. It's a really weird conversation to have. And as a matter of fact, there's a movie, uh, a, a Richard Linklater movie called Bernie, which have you seen it? I have not seen it, but I'm okay. aware of it. There's a great scene in that movie that uh, it takes place in, uh, it's in the east part of Texas. And he says, this guy in a diner says, there are five parts of Texas that should actually be their own separate states. Uh, there's da- the Dallas area with all the Mercedes. There's the the Piney Woods behind the Pine Curtain. There's what I like to call the carcinogenic coast. Uh, that's Houston. There's... Uh, Austin, Texas, with all the hairy-legged hippie ladies, and then there's South Texas, where Tex-Mex gets its name. And there's also the panhandle, and you might think I forgot that, and most people do. <laughs> you know, and I don't know why that's always stuck in my head. Yeah. Because growing up as Texas, you don't really hear about the panhandle no. that often. When you do, you hear about Amarillo. And I always thought Lubbock was... Is Lubbock West Texas or the Panhandle? Or is it kind of on the It's not the Panhandle. It's the South Plains. It's the South Plains. Which is Panhandle adjacent. um, Okay. But, and still West Texas, you know? Yeah. In terms of how people talk. We're West Texas. El Paso is West Texas. It's so diverse. But, yeah, it's, I don't think Lubbock is quite the Panhandle. It's also very bizarre posting pictures of all this snow to my friends in the central yeah, Texas who think area. we live in a desert or it's yeah, hot. Or- yeah. So, and, and, and it's not just central Texans. It's people that live in other states that are like, you got what? You got, was that a freak thing? And I'm like, not really. Nope. Not here, you know? So, yeah. So you, you mentioned um, our lack of Mediterranean restaurants. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite local restaurant? A Bracero's on 6th Street, okay. without a doubt. Without a doubt. I am a Tex-Mex girl all day. I could eat it three meals a day and two snacks a day. And it's just, that's like my favorite kind, for sure. Well, you live in the right place for Tex-Mex. And one of my favorite things about Tex-Mex here is it's kind of, a lot of it is very Southwest Tex-Mex, with mm-hmm. a lot of chilies, which you don't find mm-hmm. where I'm from. You know, a lot There's of a lot of the, the New Mexico influence. Yes, which is, I think, my absolute favorite. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Oh, the 806, without question. I thought you might say that. How did you know? Listen, I uh, we found the 806 about two weeks after we moved here, and we just fell head over feet in love with, this, with it. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? I think the diversity, okay. honestly. You don't really think of Amarillo as being diverse when you think of Amarillo if you're not from here, but it is. It, it, it greatly is. And one of the other aspects that I really like are the neighborhood kind of structures. I live on the north side. Okay. uh, And that's a very diverse, in a a very diverse uh, side of town. And I, we love that. We absolutely love that. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? It's been about a year. All right. And I did not know that when we moved here, that we were moving 
uh, to where the second largest canyon was in the that on your radar is. at all? I no, mean, not even you, okay. not even the slightest. Now it was for my husband. He knew about it, and I believe he'd been to it before. Uh, so he was super excited to take me, and it was just overwhelming. We almost got married there, actually. Really? Yeah, we almost did. We married after we moved here. Oh, okay. So, uh, and we we decided to do something different, but we we just we almost did. But it it is very special, as well as Caprock, which which yeah. they, they have their differences. Caprock has got the prairie dogs. I'm all about the prairie dogs. It's very underrated. It is. Um, but Peladuro is just a. It's one of the wonders, I think. You know, for sure, it's gorgeous. Okay, Molly, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would like uh, listeners to know about or to experience? What I would like everyone to know about, if you don't know about it, is an organization called uh, Heal the City. Okay. Uh, are you familiar? I am familiar. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, my we, father-in-law used to be the uh, the pharmacist who kind of set that up when they were just getting started. Listen, I, I don't have never lived in a city that had anything like that before. Um, and for people that don't have a home, I mean, not even just people that don't have insurance, but that's certainly one of those things. This is for people that don't have a place to sleep at night and they don't have insurance and they may be just having the worst time in their lives. People get sick and Heal the City is such an amazing organization run by volunteers who don't, to my knowledge, don't get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And people are getting insulin that they need for free. Um, it's one of those things that I think if I'll endorse it and also say, if you are looking for a place to put that extra hundred bucks, you know, that's, that's a good place to put it because it's really taking care of Amarillo and it's even taking care of people that are passing through and had to stop here and got sick somehow. So heal the city is an amazing organization that is deserving of a bigger word than it's getting. Molly Dyer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and putting up with my talkiness. Ah, no worries. (laughs) No worries at all. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Molly for the original interview. You can find out more about Molly's podcast, Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey, Amarillo exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. This has been episode 187. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.